to Monday Movie Madness. I'm, of course, your host, Odron Johnson, joined, as always, by the wonderful Chris Clawson. This week, we are taking a look at 1917. In your own time, gentlemen. Must be something big if the channel's here. You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion. Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to... Uh, of course, directed by Sam Mendes, who people will have known from... Uh, stuff like uh, Sky, or not Skyfall, uh, No Time to Die, or is it Skyfall? It's Skyfall Inspector, I believe. Um, I don't think he did Spectre, but I know for a fact he, he did. He definitely did Spectre. Did he? Yeah, uh, I know it's surprising. <laughs> this is this is where I need to research on the fly here. Um, let me see all. Let's have a look. Um, yeah, Sam Mendes. Damn. All right. Well, he did Skyfall as well, so he did probably the best and the worst. Not uh, the well, he didn't do Quantum of Solace. Let's give him a break. Well, close. Um, but yeah, um, this is obviously directed by Sam Mendes, as we mentioned, written as well by Sam Mendes and Kirsty Wilson Cairns. Cairns. I hope it's. I hope it's one of the two. Um, this is very much a obviously World War One film, as is pretty adamant by the idea that it's title 1917 and features World War One soldiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty self-explanatory in that standpoint. Uh, interesting thing about this film is that at least it's advertised to this sort of like great one-shot piece, um, although there are of course uh, multiple sort of masking cuts that uh, kind of retain the essence of what is a one-shot, but it's yeah. not wholly one-shot. Um, but yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, this is a very, very interesting film for me because I was very much unaware of Sam Mendes' existence until this film came out. Obviously, I'd seen Skyfall, but I don't think I really asked myself the question of, well, who directed this great film? Mm-hmm. Um, but then, obviously, coming into this then, I think it was very much advertised that Sam Mendes was the director, even, like, if you find any of the posters online, it says, from the director of Skyfall. So it's very much sort of, almost like um, old-school M. Night Shyamalan posters that would very much, kind of, when he was in his prime... Yeah, people yeah from the director of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you've got this sort of like, this is very much Sam Mendes at his peak, I believe, at the moment. Um, and we'll see if that continues on afterwards. Um, I think he's got a few things in the works at the moment that I need to check out at some point. Um, but yeah, 1917, uh, again, as I mentioned, a World War One story taking place around this sort of one-shot uh, sort of idea and also sort of a one-journey sort of thing. So it's not like your typical Zor War film where it's kind of jumping to and from different bits and pieces. Um, instead, it's very much based on this this whole journey of getting uh, simply just a letter from one side of a battlefield to another um, uh-huh. and it, it does a great job I think of like emphasizing um, whilst in modern day terms it may not be considered a long distance how long of a distance that feels when you're constantly under uh, the fire of enemy troops and yeah, yeah. having to sneak around different areas and not sure what lies around the next corner and again it adds to the suspense of this film uh, fully but I need to ask first because I didn't ask this before we start recording. But have you seen this film before? Yeah, yeah, I'd seen it. Uh, I've seen it once before. Um, my dad is a huge war film 
guy. So whenever a new yeah. war film comes out, he we it's usually like that's the Christmas film that you buy him. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, he was he watched uh, and funny enough, he I think I don't know if we got him this at the same time, but he'd just seen the They Shall Not Grow Old documentary as well, which I don't mm-hmm. know if I haven't actually watched it all the way through, but I don't know if you've seen any footage from that. But it's essentially I think it was Steven Spielberg taking real war footage from early world war one where it's essentially you know the hyper sped up pictures uh yeah. and like cleaning it up to the point that he brings it down to a movie type frame rate colors it fully colors the footage and adds in sound effects and so yeah. it looks real uh obviously it is real but it looks you know like it looks like a it's a it's a, a very amazing thing and seeing that and then seeing this film as well is like a really interesting experience i think yeah, and, and he'd just seen Dunkirk as well. I think the previous year was Dunkirk, and he hated it. Um, and to be fair, I don't think Dunkirk was really great either. Um, <laughs> I think the one thing this film does... They, I mean, there's many things this film does better, but this film is like the other big war film that's come out in recent years that I can think of. This and Dunkirk are kind of the two major... We haven't really seen these kind of movies for a while. Um, but, but like, um, yeah, this was my second time seeing it, and I'd forgotten how just how good it actually is. Um yeah, and um, I think I think definitely they... if you were comparing to Dunkirk just on there, like this is very much more the grounded sort of telling of oh. a story. Obviously, it's still got its bit of like flash and bravado yeah. and all that, that war films do, but Dunkirk is very much like it's a blockbuster film that's is that, set in the World War. I think Dunkirk does a massive disservice to the subject matter. It, just to briefly talk on that, but like just to, and it's, re, it's the reason I praise this film is that that film sanitizes it way too much like the fact that it's pg-13 is fine but you need to then limit yourself to what you're going to try and show but if you're going to try and show me like open conflict and it's all just going to be very bloodless and clean and it's not going to it's not going to really you're going to miss like the what you're trying to you know show the horrific nature of it if it's super sanitized and you know i'm not saying not every film needs to be saving private ryan obviously saving private ryan had that infamous (laughs) scene that was but that was very much to point out that They'd never done something like that in a movie before at the time. Obviously, we've all seen that by now. But more something like this film, where it's not... This film isn't by no means, you know, a brutal gore fest, but it will never restrain itself. If it's relevant to what it's trying to show, then it'll show it. Whereas Dunkirk, you have scenes where people are getting blown up and mowed down, and there's it's completely clean, and it just... It robs, I think, any of the impact of those kind of scenes. And I whereas just, this film, I think, yeah. obviously nails it. I also just think as well, with regards to Dunkirk and the difference between that film and this film is that when you're looking at Dunkirk, um, obviously the main sort of story beat around that is, you know, the evacuation of Dunkirk. Yeah, it's very um, much a spectacle. It's an event piece more so than anything, but the problem is you've got so many different sort of storylines that um, I think general audience as well have found a bit of confusion with the timing and pacing of that film as well. <laughs> um, and that's very easy to kind of come across. And I know that for a fact that when I first saw it, I was kind of like, I had to kind of recontextualize it in my mind a little bit just to kind of figure it out for beat for beat. But the problem with Dunkirk was that it focuses on so many little stories that realistically don't have that much emphasis on uh, the major plot points. So they don't feel as developed as, say, the main story of 1917. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's very um, much a vignette kind of film. But the problem is it hops from those vignettes. It doesn't show you the one after the other. It just hops. Yeah. And I think that the, the benefit to 1917 as well, and obviously I, I mentioned that I think Dunkirk kind of acts as this more blockbuster-style film set uh. during World War II. 1917's sort of chosen decision to be sort of one-shot makes it feel more documentary-like. Yeah. Um, despite it obviously having those big sort of 
blockbuster, not blockbuster, but like big cinematic moments. I mean, obviously the main character running through the field as people are coming out of the trenches feels very uh, sort of cinematic. But at the same mm-hmm. time, there's elements of imperfection in there. Like I know there's the fall in that part in the grass where he's actually not meant to fall um, in the script, but that just so happened that they bumped into each other that like, that feels natural. Yeah. So you've got this element of more documentarianism. Is that even a word? But you've got an element of documentary to it as well that makes it seem a bit more realistic as opposed to Dunkirk. Well, there's just the film just kind of never stops. And like, you know, when you talk, look at a film like uh, Dunkirk, I think the uh, and funny enough, as from my, my dad who watches a lot of these kind of films and there's several adaptations of that story. Um, he was always praising the, the original adaptations by saying that one of the biggest problems with this new the blockbuster one, like you say, is that alongside it being sanitized, but it was the it was the look of the beach and the the set dressing, and he said it all looked too clean, and that there, there were when you look at real photos of Dunkirk, there's destroyed vehicles across the beach, there's you know bodies everywhere, and none of that is present in that film, despite the film you know being absurd, absurdly expensive and having, I think was it like several hundred real warships in the in the water for filming, mm. something crazy like that. Oh, yeah, it's very much like a spectacle, whereas this is very much. Focusing on the talked a bit of shit about Dunkirk. <laughs> um, it's very much an intimate story, isn't it? Like it's very much this personal. It's a vignette, a snapshot of the real, you know, of essentially the real thing. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, I wanted. I'm not sure if you the first time you saw this, did you see it in the cinema? No, I wish I'd had done. No, I saw it straight to Blu-ray, yeah. uh, Blu-ray at Christmas. Yeah, because this is a film that I didn't really want to go and revisit at some point because I had seen it in the cinema when it came out. And if it's very much one of those, like, like you could advocate this film as a reason to keep going to the cinema uh-huh. um, because it's very much this sort of surreal experience, both visually and audio-wise. Uh-huh. Um, like, seeing it in the cinema really kind of, it, it draws you in very much more so than if you're watching it on a laptop screen or on your TV. Um, yeah, which is the that. case in a lot of films, but more so on this because it feels more intimate as a story um and yeah no i i've yeah i was very worried about coming back to this and thinking that my perception of the film as a whole would maybe be shifted a little bit because i wasn't watching in the cinema i think maybe to a degree there is now it's a very marginal difference but i still think the cinematic experience for this film is the the definitive way to watch it um it's almost it is it is filmed at a completely like imax ratio as well and all that stuff as well um and i'm glad at least in the way they released this film, they didn't sort of do that typical thing with DVDs where they kind of scale it to, um, what's it, 19 by, uh, 1920 by 1080 to kind yeah. of fit it on a screen. They kind of just left it as the original aspect ratio so you still saw everything because that can be a detriment to a lot of films, I think, when they go on to DVD is to be kind of yeah. squished together. Um, um, but yeah. But yeah, like, like just obviously... You know, you talk about the story of the film. Obviously, it's this this journey of trying to get this letter essentially to to signal this retreat, essentially to make sure that this attack doesn't go ahead because trap is kind of the main mm-hmm. premise of the film. And what I think the film does so well is like for the first forty minutes, you don't know who the protagonist is really. If you would, unfortunately, the posters kind of give it away, and the box art DVD gives it away, but. If you hadn't seen that, like the film sets it up really well that you don't know, you never feel like either character is safe. You know, Schofield and um, Blake, neither character feels like they are safe and later see they're not. Um, and I think it's so good early on when there's they have like several close calls before, obviously, the eventual death of Blake. Um, I love the close calls of what you think would take them out, but it's actually this very like simple mistake that gets one of them killed. 
Um, and uh, and I just love the tone of this film. I love how like, and I <laughs> and I, I say that as when I'm probably not going to watch it for a long time again because it's a real downer of a film. <laughs> um, but I do love its respect of like. You know, it makes you question things. What people would do, what people should probably do morally in this situation. Like, I, you sit, you sit. What this is a great example of what the film does. It challenges your morals. Is you think, oh yeah, it's a good idea to like not kill this guy who's crashed his plane. Like, yeah, just help him and he'll and then just let him be on his way. And then he immediately kills one of you. So you and then you sat there thinking, well, you should have just shot him while he was sat in the cockpit. Um, yeah. you know, it's like it, like it gives you these like moral quandaries because you're like, yeah, it was the right thing to do to try and help him, but. That guy like doesn't know what you're gonna do, so obviously he's gonna try and kill you first chance he gets. Mm-hmm. Like, I think another it, yeah, but I just alongside that, I think a big part of that is the fact that the two main leads in this film aren't particularly well known actors. No, um, yeah, it's very much. I mean, obviously, I've seen Dean Charles Chapman and stuff before. He's really good in Blinded by the Light. Uh, he's obviously in Game of Thrones as well as Tom and Baratheon. Um, oh God, I didn't remember that. <laughs> But um, he, he's he's obviously they're both phenomenal actors. Of course, George McKay as well is really really good. But wait, I think the oh, is wait, he Tom and is in the one who cl- falls out the window? Yes. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god, <laughs> that guy. Yeah, yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's it's always like class. fun when you kind of find a Game of Thrones actor like out in the wild. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, both of them are just really really good in this film, and I think the. It feels like a deliberate decision as well in the film because there are obviously you've got Colin Firth, you've got yeah, it's uh, like, I was Benedict Cumberbatch, you've got even uh, is it, it Andrew Scott and everything like who are very Mark well strong. Known you got Mark Strong as well, um, yeah, and, and Chris Madden. Like, like yeah. it's like this revolving door of like famous British you know classical actors who are all playing the like higher ups, and then obviously you've got these new these not so not newcomers as you say, but like lesser known actors playing the the protagonists. And it's weird how it's like walks into a room Colin Firth. Next, next time they come up with someone of authority, it's Mark Strong. Then it's but ends with Benedict Cumberbatch. Like it's crazy. Yeah, no, I think that's a really like, like that's a really great way of like, because uh, it's probably a great thing for them as well as 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 not newish actors, but actors that haven't really had that break yet. Obviously, I think this film is their break, um, yeah. and it's really great that that is the case as well because they're just phenomenal in general in this film. Yeah, um, absolutely. But I, I think for them as both actors uh, to kind of have that like shared experience on screen with actors like Colin Firth, Andrew Scott, Benedict Cumberbatch, Chris Madden. I'm not even sure if Chris Madden was fully established this time. I think he'd done The Bodyguard, um, but he was certainly a well-enough known actor in the British sphere to begin with. God, yeah, I forgot um, about the scene, Rob Stark at the end. I forgot about that when I was watching it again. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, um, but no, just really, really just phenomenal um, way of doing this film. And of course, yeah. as you mentioned, the idea that you're not sure if these characters are safe. I think the fact that these aren't particularly well-known actors even adds to that because you're not yeah, like, I think... if this was like, let's just say, for example, I think this was a cast of like, I don't know, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, you'd be like, oh, well, they're not going to die. They're the main mm. leads. And there's exceptions to that. Obviously, movies like Fury are obviously, like the whole point of that is this is a star-studded cast and they all die in the end, yada, yada. And that has its own problems and I'm not a huge fan of that film. Oh, but, really? But we look at stuff like, like this, I think is really good because it's a case of like, because there is always going to be a sense of like uh, sort of stepped back um, for uh, for the audience. Like they're not going to be like fully convinced that they're in the scene or like fully grasped yeah, of course, the audience yeah. as, much, as much as they try. Um, but the case is with this, I think it just adds that little bit extra to the scene to have these actors not be as majorly well, you known know, unless you're like a big nerd like me or whatever. And you're like, yeah, oh because... yeah, there's such and such. But yeah. 
like for me, this is my first time seeing them. So you just see them as the characters. It's it's a pretty like it's. I think it's yeah. a thing you get with so many films that if it's your first time seeing them, then you'll just see the character. And I think with this film, that's pretty pivotal. Pivotal. Um, I do love the. This film's just like a. It's a constant escalation of tension. Like almost immediately, as soon as they get these orders, there's like this score. The score, and I can't. I didn't look up who the composer was for this film, but the score is so good at like building this tension constantly. You know, almost as soon as they get the orders, there's this urgency. It's like you've got a day to get to this place. You've got to get halfway across this battlefield. You know, in a day, uh, or 1,600 people are going to die, and it's just like immediately like tense as all hell. And then, and and uh, to be fair, there is kind of like. There is like because they set up Blake having this brother, you do kind of think, well, in a traditional film, the other guy would die because the guy yeah. who's got the brother has got to live, right? Um, but obviously, again, not the case, and we'll get to that because I need to talk about that bit. But um, yeah. I just love the the crossing of like no man's land. You know, you open up immediately without the the set design in this movie is incredible. Um, the I've never seen no man's land look more real than it does in this film. You know that. Yeah. The ditches, I think, is one of the most scary parts because I remember my dad telling me about this because he, he watches all this sort of stuff, all the documentaries. And obviously, these kind of ditches are like really deceptive because they're these massive bodies of water that you would drown in, like if you were to fall in. Um, mm-hmm. But they just look like holes in the ground, uh, and they say that early on in the film. And yeah, and obviously, I, I don't know the name of the actor. Obviously, he it's um it's the guy who played uh, to me. I know him as Moriarty from Sherlock. Oh, Andrew <laughs> Scott, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, so that's like, yeah. And he's obviously explaining that, yeah, if you fall in, you, you're not going to get out. And like, um, I love that whole section of them crossing. And there's even some like, it's not like played in any kind of comedic way, but there's, there's the disturbing thing of like, he, you know, he, he stumbles and he ends up putting his arm inside a guy's chest cap, like the back of his, a hole in oh. his back. Like there's so much like horrific imagery of like, you know, these de- decomposing corpses and, and it's not really so, that's not something we see as much in war films. You know, we usually see the carnage in the moment of the battle. We don't usually see the aftermath when you've got rats eating bodies and bodies decaying, some of them even down to, like, skeletal remains because they've been there for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something more disturbing about that, that you've obviously seen, you know, the aftermath of what's happened. Um, yeah. And there's that incredibly tense scene with them crossing that body of water because you're like, yeah, if you fall in, you're not getting out. Mm-hmm. I think that scene as well is very much where the score really kicks in as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you get like throughout the film just this beautiful soundtrack that like mm. contrasts everything. Like especially later on in the film when you have like the burning village, um, and you have like that really iconic shot of him in front just looking at the flames, uh, before yeah. being chased down by a German soldier. Like the music is just so powerful in this sense, and it almost it's a good thing in the sense because films have a real big tendency, I think nowadays, to really undershoot the score and have it be yeah. really quiet. But this film allows the score to kind of almost almost be louder than everything else it, like it allows it to kind of be the main voice for the film and i think that's a really really great uh decision uh, to have well, that be the case yeah and um yeah it, oh, sorry i've lost my track what it reminds me of actually is um, and i don't know if you get this vibe but i'm not saying that this film is in any way video gamey but because of the kind of second person viewpoint in the sense of you almost feel like a cameraman following them or it's a third person game and you're following a character from behind um, okay. you kind of get the score almost reminds me of like a dynamic soundtrack in a game you know like especially the sequence where that really reminds me of it is the is this sequence where they're crossing the trenches and obviously they're going towards the enemy trench and there's this will there be German soldiers will won't there be like was the intel good was it bad and there's this build up as they like reach the top of this hill and it feels very much like an escalation in like you know like 
and and not to say that the film is video game, but it just reminded me of that of like you know when you enter combat in a video, like a sudden escalation, like a dynamic soundtrack. Yeah, um, no, for sure. And and obviously, it's just it's memorable scene after memorable scene, really, as well. Like there's so many set pieces. No, I'm not, and they're, they're they're so they're subdued, but they're also really striking. Like they are, yeah. n- there's nothing on the level of something like a Dunkirk. But everything feels way more exciting than that film because, and and not necessarily exciting always in a good way because the film is very dark and by no means glorifies any aspect of World War One. In fact, it's pretty, pretty a pretty horrific picture it paints. But there mm-hmm. is like a. You just, you just, it is very exciting. Like it's undeniable, the action sequences are are exciting because you care about the characters and because you you're in it. Like there's a great, you know, there's one sequence that's just in another movie would just be two shots of people shooting at each other. You've got this, you know, scene where he's shooting at this sniper, and it's like one of the most intense scenes in the movies, and it's just two people, you know, exchanging shots at each other because that's what it would actually be like to be in a firefight where your life is on the line. Yeah, I think um, yeah, generally the the. Because it's it's strange in film as well. Because generally in film we kind of, I don't I don't mean this in any way. I'm certainly not trying to like diminish either one of them. But like most films, when they tried when they attempt to tackle one of the wars, they usually pivot towards World War Two. <laughs> it's more the it's kind of more of a pop culture thing to to do that. I feel like there's more of an easy way of like spanning out heroes and villains because obviously the Nazis are terrible. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, whereas obviously World War One has a little bit more nuance to it. Uh-huh. Um, but the the interesting thing about it is like because of the time it's set in, there's it allows a director not to stumble into that pitfall of having just this like scene that we've seen in every World War Two film of them being suppressed by this heavy machine gun. Uh-huh. Um, because everything is like primitive now in comparison to nowadays with like bolt action weapons and everything. You've got this sort of like almost people fumbling to kind of like fumbling against each other it's not like yeah. you're seeing these trained soldiers what you're seeing is people who are pretty much which is the case as well people who were just sent out onto the front lines because they were conscripted or they joined up and were very much just like fighting against uh, people with very similar training i.e. practically none um, and you can kind of get that feeling throughout the entirety of the film uh, that yeah. it's just these guys aren't these like cold-blooded killers they're just normal people everyday people that just found themselves in this situation at the at the time you know well yeah like every fight is like a mad scramble to you know like they get off a shot and land it and if you miss it's like you know every time a character's be every time later on especially when scofield's being chased through the town you know he's being shot at every shot is a miss but then it's like only just a miss and it's only a miss really because the guy probably isn't the best shot in the world hasn't had enough training you know, the yeah. guy falls over his own feet and then fires at him as he falls. Um, and he gives him the slip in, like, the most, you know, you, you would think obvious to a trained person way possible because this is probably just a normal guy who's like, I need to get this guy or I'm going to die. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's, like... And, yeah, there is, like, almost a... Yeah, it's very, like... It's very grey. Like, when, you know, like, it's easy to watch, like, the scene where... I feel like I, I need to talk about the scene now because it's my favourite scene, probably. <laughs> Is when Blake the plane crashes into the the farmer farmhouse after Blake and uh, Schofield have narrowly just escaped another a booby trap in the in the in the um, bunk in not bunker in the trenches which in itself is like a horrific scene because I hate I can't something about 
Schofield coming out and not being able to see and having the constant dust in his eyes. Like, it really gets under my skin. Because <laughs> I can like yeah. almost feel it where I'm like, oh god, that must be awful. <laughs> like he can't he can't breathe and he can't he's being suffocated, you know, by all the dust and rubble that's landed on him. Yeah. Uh and it's like it kind of that kind of lulls you into a false sense of security as well because you're like, How on earth did you survive that? Like that's just luck. But obviously there's situations like that all the time in war where, you know, miraculous things will happen where someone will just get incredibly lucky. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and uh, and then obviously the film kind of subverts that immediately and goes, well, no, <laughs> this, this isn't the kind of film you're watching. Um, and obviously this guy crashes his plane. Presumably a German soldier gets shot down by one of you know by one of the British uh, two two British planes. Um, crash crashes straight into the building that they're taking refuge in. Essentially, um, they try and do the right thing and get him out because you know there's kind of a there there, there always has been historically kind of a code obviously in war that you take prisoners. You try and, you know, you should probably try and, like, if they're unarmed, try and, like, take them prisoner or, at the very least, you know, significant medical attention and things like that. They try and do the right thing because they're just normal people um, and it gets one of them killed. Um, and uh, and it makes you, like, and you, you kind of, I kind of got the vibe throughout this film that Schofield had, Blake was far more naive than Schofield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Schofield has probably, I assume, probably served longer than Blake because there's a mention of him being at the Battle of the Somme, uh, yeah. which has probably already hardened him at this point to the point where he would have probably just shot that guy if it was him by himself. But, you know, better but shooting. But he even than, recommends than, than, it, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, and to be fair, he might even have a point because the guy's legs are all chewed up. Like, he's probably not going to be able to get up. Um, And there's no one, obviously, nearby to administer aid. So he's probably not even entirely wrong. It's like the, it's the hard part of that. Um, but then obviously he goes to help fetch a thing water for the guy to put to suit to uh, put on his wounds. I think. Um, and then he stabs his friend Blake. And uh, I feel like that scene is so like messed up because it sets you up to be like not think that the wound is that severe almost. Yeah. Because it's shown as like a pretty small wound. And then as the camera does its thing throughout the movie, where it kind of I think it hides a cut here, but it hides it brilliantly. Where he goes from obviously like you know normal complexion to ghostly pale because he's losing so much blood so quickly because he's actually been stabbed in a, like presumably his gut mm. um and obviously he's bleeding out super quick um and that scene this is why like the movie is is so good in in the sense of it being the one take but it's also like horrific because of scenes like this because mm-hmm. in other movies we would cut away we would we would speed it up a little bit but instead it's this painful you know horrific heartfelt like realistic death scene where someone is slowly come to the realization that they're not going to make it out they're going to die and then so is their friend realizing it as well am i dying yes yes i think you are This inside. Yeah. It's almost like that scene is almost elevated as well by the scene pretty much just directly before as well where they escape from the Yeah. From the the trench. And it's like, 
Schofield is kind of like, why did you pick me? Like, we're going to get, like, you're going to get me killed or whatever. And then to immediately mm. have that sort of like complete opposite happen where Blake dies. And then you can kind of like the rest of the film like that definitely follows Schofield around because yeah. he's kind of had these last few words like that are very much like, I can't believe you've like made me do this. Like they, they, they ended on okay terms, yes, but like their actual last proper conversation was very, like, confrontational. Mm. Um, and I just think the way that that's done, like, and it's not something that I think particularly like because they don't harp on about it, they don't make a big point about it, and that's a case for a lot of the the film. Like, nothing in this film is particularly. Uh, it's not like presented. I sp- I suppose besides the final scene with Chris Madden, which I think is earned, but like outside of that. Like, there's not a lot of scenes that are very much, like, dramatizing anything. Like, stuff mm-hmm. just happens, and then you move on. And that's the the, the real, like, sort of, the, the real creative beauty of this is that the fact that, like, you know, as you mentioned, like, you kind of, like, get the sense that, yeah, Blake's being stabbed. But I remember the first time I watched this, I was like, oh, we'll probably just, we just bandage that up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just not the case. And then that's a when the main character's dead. And that throws you aloof completely because it's like, you're used to suppose a dramatized version of like war films or just films about violence in general of like there being this huge scene about like somebody dying um, yeah. and even the music is very subdued in the scene um, and I think it's Does, is there fun- any music even when he dies I, well I exactly yeah it. that's the yeah. point like it's so subdued there's either this tiny little bit of it that I can't remember or there's none at all and I think hmm. that's such a great way of doing it because usually you've got like oh, the strings are coming in now because this character is dying and it's really sad and we need you to feel sad. And this film is kind of like, no, this is like, yes, it's sad, but but this is war. Like, this guy died uh, because um, he might have made the right choice morally, but he made the wrong choice as a soldier in this case. Yeah. And he didn't think about it. And it's really, really like, because it's complex storytelling in the sense that, yes, it's asking you questions about what would you do in this situation, but it's also just allowing the stories of i would imagine real life soldiers to be told and hmm. um, and i that's just some of the amazing like uh, directing and written work done in this film is because of that nothing feels dramatized everything feels very real very passionate i would say but i i don't think like even to even to like sort of say that there's an emotion behind some of the decisions in this film feels wrong because everything seems like very much clinically mastered and put together that it's kind of like we have no emotional bearing on any of this story we just want to present this story and yeah. what you come out of it is what you make of it um and it, it's it's one of the many reasons why i absolutely adore this film because you can come back to it like i suppose maybe uh, maybe if i came back to it five ten years later with a bit more lived experience i could have a completely different thought process on how this whole movie plays out uh-huh. have a completely different viewpoint on what i think about it um Obviously, generally, the, the, the core aspects of like, you know, oh, God, war is terrible and all that stuff will remain the same. But the more nuanced elements of like, what would you have done in that situation with the guy in the plane? What would you, yeah. um, you know, how would you have picked up on the conversations between these different characters um, will will change. And, and I think that's one of the great things about this film. And I think it's what gives um, what is very much a a stapled in time film it makes it almost classic that you can kind of go back to it whenever and it will still hold a lot of meaning mm. yeah it's um 
yeah, it's just that, that yeah, the whole scene is just like so harrowing, and like as you say, the performances are incredible. Uh, the dialogue is really heart wrenching. I know it's not like it is like we say, isn't it? Isn't dramatized, but it feels very real. Um, you know that whole like that that line that always gets me is obviously him saying like, "There's kind of this long pause," and he's like, "Am I dying?" And he's and he's like, "Yeah, I think you are," and it's just like, "Hold, horrendous." Mm. Because Schofield is kind of like I think initially hoping that he can save him. I think once he realizes he can't even stand up, he's like, "Nothing's gonna happen here." Um, and I think that was I remember watching this with my parents and kind of getting that same reaction where my my mum was kind of like, "Oh, he'll be okay." And then when she saw he couldn't stand up and he couldn't even get him up, well, no. um, so I think yeah, I think the film does a really good job of of, of taking that whole scene taking you by surprise. Yeah. Um, and then there, there, there's a there's an added like salt in the wound after that as well that help was just around the corner. Yeah. You know, you don't know if they have a medic. Uh, I think one of those blokes is a medic actually who picks up the body because he's got. A, I'm sure he has a red armband on. I could be wrong. I could be. I could have misinterpreted that. But it is very much does very much feel like a gut punch. That's like, oh, if he if he could have just held on a little moment longer, maybe someone could help. Yeah. Um. And instead, obviously, it's very much like this. They help him carry the body, and he he vows, obviously, to to write to his mother and find his brother and stuff. Um, and then he, but that kind of renews his like that kind of I think inspires him, obviously, to complete the mission at this point. Well, to do it, you know, for his friend <laughs> more than anything else. Um, and it it's maybe a bit of guilt as well because obviously he has that conversation with Mark Strong where he says, you know, it doesn't do any good to dwell on this. Yeah, no, um, for sure. And I love that whole sequence of him in the truck as well. You know, them sort of it move it. You know, it's almost like it's a, it's not really a reprieve, which I really like. You know, you see all these other lads around him having these very casual conversations. Not that they haven't been through anything; they're probably just you know they're they're more relaxed currently. And mm-hmm. he's obviously just had this incredibly traumatic experience, and he's just kind of silently sat there the whole time uh, as they're having these conversations. Um, and then obviously, but they all kind of like they all kind of understand very quickly like what's just happened yeah. um and i yeah it's really good like i think it does a really good job of portraying like that shared experience that soldiers have that these these soldiers especially have you know being in this great war as it, as it were um and like i even like how in the film there's that line about the you know back in time for christmas like a pretty common thing that was told to them all mm. i think yeah generally the, one, the other thing I really appreciated about this film was that whilst you get the idea that there are obviously ranks and file in, in, yeah. in the army, like it, all of them that are kind of on the ground feel very much like equals. Um, yeah. As opposed, well, opposed to the generals who very much feel almost detached from the entire situation, um, which is a very much shared idea between uh, writers and poets of the time who kind of yeah. talk about World War One, uh, Like Seyfried Sassoon is a really famous um poet who wrote about world war one talking about this idea of like generals being sort of these uh, guys who are guzzling and gulping in the best hotels it's like one of the most famous lines from his poem based details but it's like you kind of get that idea here there's a little bit more nuance to it but like the characters of like both benedict cumberbatch and colin firth feel very arrogant to a certain point where they're kind of like yeah, no, we're sending you off um, and, you know, we, we're not sure of our information, but you have to go anyways. And obviously those are decisions that have to be made and that's where the nuance comes in where there's a little bit of like 
you know, these these guys, you know, do show a level of humanity and remorse, but there is a certain element of like they're not like as like soldierly as the rest of them, if that makes sense. No. Um and I think you get like you get even get a little snapshot of like the you know aristocratic nature of some generals because you get that general who sat in his car who speaks with a very well spoken accent and seems very like unbothered by all the entire situation. Um, you know, you get you you someone who maybe hasn't earned his position essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you have like someone like Mark Strong who obviously much like a lot of the other big name actors only having a brief scene, but you very immediately get the sense of one he can understand what Schofield's going through. And two, he kind of has this respect for him, and he's very much like in tune with the, with the you know the lower rank soldiers. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, like people like again Andrew Scott, even Chris Madden as well, Mark Strong. Yeah. Those characters very much like seem like they've just kind of. It's not even a case of them having like ranked up through the army. It's the fact that their superiors have probably died and they've just come across the position. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like Andrew Scott's character is perfect, uh, Lieutenant Leslie. Like very much like, it's <laughs> just the case of like they were looking for someone else at the beginning of the film, and then it turns out he died. So yeah, this guy's now in charge, and he doesn't really want to be there. Um, and he's kind of a bit like pissed off at like the lack of sort of extra soldiers that they haven't got and all this. And there's a sense of like, as is the case with like if you're. <laughs> away for such a long period of time at a war that begins to feel fruitless yeah. you're kind of at this point where you're like what am i what am i doing anymore like and you can kind of get that and i think andrew scott's performance is like very much like that but it's kind of a case of just keep moving through each day um obviously he seems like obviously very much and he's probably earned the right to be a little bit um sort of snarkier and annoying to yeah. some of the other characters and he uses but, his rank quite a bit in like just sort of a joking way but he doesn't yeah again take it um you can sense that there's something underneath there of very much like this depressed nature of having to do it day in day out well there's the whole that many of the characters in the film do have that kind of like you say like this fatigue of like wanting it to be over like even at the end of the film benedict cumberbatch very clearly although he's it, it isn't actually there's a there's a line obviously where mark strong indicates that this guy might just want the fight and just want the battle essentially but actually the vibe i got from the end of the film is that benedict cumberbatch like everyone else is just tired and wants this to be over and postponing this is just going to make it it's just going to happen again in a week's time um like there's this feeling of like you know they're all kind of going well yeah this is just gonna happen this is gonna happen one way or another let's just get it over with. yeah and i think even uh, like to a certain extent as well, like, you know, the film is very much framed as, like, the idea of these huge casualties, yes, is, like, terrible, but to a lot of the characters, it's not really that big of a deal because it's, like, yes, the main plot is them going across on this journey to deliver this message to save 1,600 troops, but realistically, the core, like, drive of the story is is so that Blake can get to his brother and save his brother. It's not about saving the other... 1,599 troops like they can go to hell for all he cares I think in the film it's more about yeah. his brother which is obviously uh, you know totally fair because um, there's more of a personal aspect to having a family member involved there yeah. and I think that's a great element of the movie as well that makes it feel a lot more it, it reigns in the scope a little bit because if you see 1600 you're just thinking numbers whereas if you know that somebody is a brother then you're seeing a person yeah. Um. And, you know, that's not to say that that's particularly a good way of looking at life and you shouldn't look at life like that, and I certainly don't generally. Um, but this is a case of what you could see Benedict Cumberbatch's character is doing. It's like, he's more thinking about what he wants as opposed to what's best for the most amount of people. 
and and that's yeah. the problem again with like you know you're talking about the disconnect between the general soldiers in this film and the generals is that the generals are very much like not even statistically minded they're just more so in a case as what we see on screen is kind of selfish yeah. um, that they just kind of want to throw people at each other so that they can kind of get out of here and go home um, yeah. and maybe at one point or another they were more conscious of it but obviously through the grueling process of probably being in previous wars to this and being in this war now they're kind of like let's just get it done with yeah um, and yeah that it, it's just a really really like fascinating way of doing the story and I don't know how to properly describe it but it's just something that I latched on to and I was continuously thinking about throughout hey bloody hell I've just not been like no there's a I yeah I agree there's like um, there's like a, they almost set you up kind of like in a lot of these kind of films I, and I'm trying to think if there's another film I saw this coming to mind right now but you kind of think he's going to get this kind of warm welcome at the end when he does arrive, you know, because of his arduous journey and going on this, like, very brave, you know, kind of honourable trying to trek across just to save save so many lives. But instead, Benedict comes out, you know, he, he, he for a minute goes, you know, I'll get your wounds seen to you, but then he goes, now fuck off. <laughs> I hoped today might be a good day. Hope is a dangerous thing. That's it for now, and then next week, Command will send a different message. Attack at dawn. There is only one way this war ends. Last man standing. Have someone see to your wounds. Off, Lance Corporal. Like, because he's like, he's one, he's frustrated that, you know, this is just, he, he says to him, you know, you haven't really, he basically says you haven't really done anything. That it's it's going to happen one way or another. Um, and it's like, and it's almost like, even though he is a higher up, he's frustrated, even more frustrated of the people above him in that they just keep giving them intel. But obviously that changes every five seconds. So like, you know, he's kind of saying you haven't done anything. It's also not really. Like the film kind of doesn't, comfort you on that it kind of does just leave you with this idea that yeah it was this worth it yeah you know, blake's i mean blake's brother's alive but then now blake himself is dead so you know what do you really gain um and then his brother is traumatized by the fact that his brother is dead um yeah. so it's like nothing was really gained uh you know schofield is probably is even more traumatized than he already was um you know it yeah he didn't really yeah He's probably lost faith in humanity. Like, it is very, like, a very bleak ending to the film in a lot of ways. It is, you know, it is a relief that Schofield makes it through alive and, you know, you're happy for him. But you, I mean, that's, who knows? He might get killed the day after this movie takes place, you know? <laughs> you don't yeah. know. Like, there's never, there's no indication that he's going home or anything like that that you see in a lot of film, war films. Yeah, they get to go home at the end. It, there's no indication he's going home. He's getting some food and he's getting some medical treatment. He's going to get shit back out. Well, the other um, like great thing as well about this film is like as you mentioned, like on paper, the the film's story ends well. Like he gets to the end of the line, he delivers the message, and he saves uh, these amount of troops' lives. But like, it doesn't end. No, it doesn't end well. Like for the viewer, because the characters that we've seen on screen and the ones we know haven't come out of it any better, as you mentioned. If not, some of them have come out worse. Uh, um, and I, I want to like say just 
briefly because we're we're talking about the ending scene between uh, Schofield and um, Blake's brother, played by Chris Madden. Um, and I, I did mention earlier that I feel like this is one of the scenes that feels very much like a cinematic scene, but it's earned. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of it. The, this scene is a culmination of like everything visually, audio, uh, story-wise for this film, and it feels so powerful at the end of it. Like to get to that end point, um, especially even though the news is brutal. Like, I think this just is a testament to everyone who's an actor in this film, but particularly Chris Madden, who's only in it for maybe like five minutes. The fact that he can steal an entire ending to a film like just with like raw emotion. It's like just so well done. Um, obviously, uh, George McKay, who plays Schofield, is phenomenal this scene as well. But it's very much this is focused on Chris Madden, um, and it's just so so well executed. Like we have the the initial sort of Schofield about to walk away, and then he kind of goes back to like kind of almost console him a little bit more and say he's going to write to his mother yeah. about how great of a guy Blake was. What's your name? Schofield, sir. Sorry, what? It's Schofield, sir. William Schofield. Well. Well, you need some food. Get yourself to the mess tent. If I may. I'd like to write to your mother. Tell her that Tom wasn't alone. Of course. He was... He was a good man. Always telling funny stories. He saved my life. Um... And it, it the the the, um, the film almost ends sort of kind of bookended in a way because you've got obviously the beginning at Schofield sitting at a tree waking up to go on this mission. Yeah, yeah. And he kind of goes over to this like lone tree in the middle of what is very much a beautiful looking vista to sit down and kind of close his eyes again. And it's like it's just so heart wrenching uh, yeah. that end to the film because. It's not the case of like it didn't have me in tears, but it f- it made me feel like very much like I needed to sit down and process for a second, like. And then you've yeah. obviously got the the written bit at the end, and I think I'm not usually I'm a little bit like oh, okay, that's a cheap shot. Throw that in at the end after you've made me on the verge of tears, but like that really like that scene at the end feels amplified. And I'm I'm I'm, I'm not sure if the the person they reference in the first battalion is that a relative of Sam Mendes? Yeah, I was a bit unsure about that. I would, I mean, I would, I would it assume seems, so given the reference. Yeah, but well, it seems too much of a coincidence for it not to be, doesn't it? Then, yeah, yeah, um, and like then, if you take that into context as well, and then you realize sort of the personal sort of relationship that the director has to this film as well. Like, it's layers on top of layers of emotion that are just so beautifully put together at the end of that film. Yeah. Like, it feels like a perfect end um, to something that doesn't want to glorify or glamorize uh, an el- a, like a fairly severe, awful world conflict. It, yeah. it aims to just sort of pass on history in that sense. Yeah, very much so. I mean, like, yeah, it's every, like, like you say, I mean, every, every time the film even dips its toe into action, it's very much like, 
gritty and it, it does everything it can to avoid glamorizing it in any way. Um, and I think that's like, yeah, definitely to the film's credit. Um, you know, there's, the, the, and there's, and it's almost like, there's almost like a tragedy to every time Gofield has to kill someone in this, in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that you don't see in other films, you know, the scene where he, he, he grabs hold of the guy and says, you know, be quiet, you know, it's very much implied that, Hey, be quiet and I'll let you go. And then the guy immediately, like probably out of, you know, paranoia, because that seems to be the general vibe that everyone has, obviously, what there's no reason for him to trust him, um, tries to alert his friend. And then you got this very tense scene of Schofield just choking this guy to death, um, yeah. with this other guy, like a few feet away from him, um, yeah, there's very much like the 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 film does everything it can not to glorify anything, and obviously it even briefly shows the innocents who get caught in it. Obviously, the the, the young girl and the baby who's not even hers. We obviously find out mm-hmm. um, she's just you know trying to do the right thing and keep this baby alive. Um, and uh, there is like, although the film is you know done in the style it is, it's it's impressive as the amount of character you know depth there is to to Schofield and and to Blake for the time he's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, in, oppo- in opposition to something like Dunkirk, which kind of ha- could have had the, the um, was afforded kind of the had the ability to tell, make it interesting and well written characters, but chose not to. Um, this film, like I would have gotten off a lot easier if it didn't, if it didn't have as strong characters, because it still would have worked from you know, just seeing the, a day in the life essentially. Yeah. But on top of that, also having very relatable and human characters, you know, um, yeah, it's just. <laughs> um, yeah, because I'm struggling to continue just to say things, but uh, it's all positive. <laughs> I just, yeah. I think the only thing that is a is a negative to this film for me, and like that's not to to dissuade anyone's you know talent involved in it, but it is a bit of a downer. You're not going to watch it too often, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, it's not a comedy. Like, <laughs> um, it's not. There isn't. There isn't enough, and and there, I don't think there should be more spectacle. But there's not enough spectacle for you to go back and go, oh, I want to watch this scene or this scene. You know, it's the same with. Saving Private Ryan is very similar, but it is much more like, you know, it, and, and not to even discredit that film, but even slightly, because I love that film. But like, it is more something like that is more rewatchable because it has you know these notable one these notable actors to these exciting action sequences, although they are still delivered with you know a similar level of respect. Um, it's just that's more palatable as a film, whereas obviously this film is very much like this is a grueling experience that pulls you in, mm-hmm. um, doesn't try to comfort you at any point. <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe I differ a little bit on that because I, I don't obviously go back and watch for spectacle in this film, but what I do end up going back to this film for is to kind of view what I would describe as sort of a masterclass in silent storytelling. Yeah. Uh, which is very much, I think visually this film has a lot of like, you know, the way people talk about every frame of painting sort of way. Mm. Like you can you can probably pause at one point in this film and it just like the whole canvas looks phenomenal and beautiful in every way shape and form again specifically i referenced the the burning building in the town yeah um when schofield comes across it but i think when i go back to this film the scenes i watch are like very much like that chris madden scene at the end um i kind of i view a lot of scenes between blake and uh and schofield particularly the one where they're talking about the the guy who had his ear chewed off like you know there's elements of camaraderie there that feel very natural but then Alongside that, with silent storytelling, there is the case for like Madden's performance is very much it's a subdued uh, vocal performance, but a very much rich visual and emotional performance. Because um, you get this like range of emotions that you can just see off his face and his emotions alone, 
and he doesn't mm. need to say like oh i'm very sad my brother is dead like but you can see that and it feels real and it feels mm. natural to how someone would act in that situation if they were say a posi- person in a position of power in the army and they had just learned this news about someone very close to them it's just phenomenally well done and this isn't a film that I, I agree with you that you would go back to often but it's a film that i would go back to maybe once every couple of years and i probably yeah, will no, continue sure. to do it's that not, it's not uh, i'm not saying i don't watch it i'll definitely watch it again but um yeah it's just um you need to be in the right sort of mindset um but one thing i do want to say actually before I, i'm kind of up but is um i think you need to talk it is amazing what they were able to do with cgi in this film and like obviously yeah. the blending of the shots you know, it's so hard to pick out a scene where you go, oh, that's... But there's maybe one or two, because I've seen the film a couple times now, I can go, oh, that's that's clearly where they cut it. And it's usually these kind of, like, very rapid, blurry movements that kind of look a little odd. But, like, yeah. once you're kind of sucked into the film, you kind of you forget all of that because you're so enthralled. But it's like, it, there's a few, like, very obvious ones, I suppose, but not that they look bad. They're just kind of like, oh, this is cut. You know, it's the sequence of, like, there's a sequence of like when he jumps off the into the trench, you know, there's like this bit of blur and stuff and um it's kind of cool actually seeing those things though, because it makes you go, Oh wow, that's really amazing that that still looks like one continuous shot, even if I can tell where they've cut it. Yeah. No, definitely. I think the good thing about this film is like obviously you could you can kind of say it's not one shot, which I have and you know, you yeah. know that. But the good thing about it is at least on your first viewing or at least on your first couple of viewings it's still quite difficult to point out where they make the cuts. So it doesn't feel well, yeah. like... Yeah, so you can kind of still get that one-shot feeling throughout the film. Like, there's nothing blatant about it. Like, it's not a complete, like, cut. Like, um, yeah, like and it's, it's very well executed. And and you have to wonder just how difficult this must be to get all the timings and positionings right, you know, for these one-takes. Because although the film isn't, like you say, one continuous take, it's a co- it's a collection of numerous one-takes. Mm. Um and to to do that it must be insane like when they're walking and talking in the beginning like i'm trying to even imagine like the pressure of like remembering getting your lines perfect down and and not you know and and getting the timings right of all the people coming through because there's so much activity going on in the trenches it's just really impressive that they managed to piece this all together and obviously how real everything looks um obviously yeah. you know it's all very practical these all look like you know very real sets so it's just kind of it's just incredible like how they've pieced it together um yeah but yeah i mean other than the the mood kill, I don't really have too many issues. Almost, but um, I'm not as much of a war film guy as, as I used to be. Um, mm-hmm. So I suppose that's kind of maybe deterred my enjoyment of the film slightly, but mainly because they're just such you know they're such emotional taxing films. You know, if anything, Ridge films like that they're all very like taxing. Yeah, there's something about those films that I think I have a particular passion for. Obviously, mm. they're a little bit like Hacksaw Ridge is a little bit eccentric uh, at points, but it, it, I think it's it's phenomenal the way that that is still a true story. Yeah. Um, but like, if anything, watching 1917 now has given me more of a push to really go and watch All Quiet on the Western Front uh, for the Oscars. Yes, yeah. Um, so I, I'll definitely dive into that because I know it's on Netflix now. They've actually shown that in my local cinema, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, it, it's well worth them. Um, I should mention as well to people listening, Check your local cinemas now, by the way, because they're doing a lot of reruns of Oscar films. Uh-huh. Um, specifically, Odeon, I know, is doing a load. Uh, I saw they have uh, Women Talking, Fablemans, all that sort of stuff. Is I on. the Whale moment. is playing a lot as well. Yeah. I, well, the Whale went out very quickly because um, it seems to be gone in my local cinema now in Odeon. Um, <laughs> so it was there for a while, um, but 
we'll we'll catch it at some point. I, I imagine. <laughs> yes. Um, don't bring your popcorn into that film. I've heard. Um, but outside of that, I think maybe we'll finish up there, Chris. Will we? Yeah, yeah. Um, you want to do your ratings there first? Yeah, I think uh, I'm going to give it a four out of five. Um, which I don't <laughs> know if that's going to bother you. <laughs> um, no, no. But it is mainly just I'm struggling to think. I suppose it's a combination of. This film isn't super rewatchable because of its tone. And because of its tone, it there's obviously a ceiling on how much like enjoyment I can get. Um, okay. Like in the sense of this is a wonderfully made film and like it's an amazing film. It's it's one for like you're talking about like the best, you know, kind of interpretations of war and the best war films we've ever had. This is up there with the things like Saving Private Ryan, you know, of yeah. like the best of all time. Um, so it's absolutely up there. Um, but I just yeah, it, it it's it's emotionally taxing and like I think for that reason I can't I can't go higher than a four. Um but in terms of like on a technical level it's obviously a five out of five writing. It's just there is like that I'm not gonna sit down and watch this with my girlfriend for like a fun night. Like I'm not gonna no, be no, like, no. Oh, this is this is a fun watch. I'm gonna be sat there like, I need a hug after watching that and a shower. Yeah, no, definitely. Um I think for me, I I'm I'm saying a four and a half. Um Based on if you were to watch this as a an at home experience, I think of this if you were to watch it in the cinema, I think it's a five easily. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, just, yeah, I can see that. It's one of those films that benefits very greatly from the cinematic experience. Um, uh. And there's, I think, yes, uh, I, I when I say it benefits from the cinematic experience, I think there's obviously a level to which every film benefits from the cinematic experience. Um, but I think to a general audience score like me. Um, who maybe at points doesn't really pick up on the intricacies of what the cinema's doing to make a heightened experience. <laughs> this was one that I went to and I came out thinking, hey, this is a cinema, like this is a film like that you'd watch yeah. in cinema. Um, and I- I'm so happy I did it then rather than doing kind of, not that you did it a service to yourself, Chris, but you kind of did. <laughs> um, I mean, I had a soundbar. <laughs> yeah, okay. and it was on Blu-ray, so we, we tried. <laughs> with an, an attempt was made. Yes, yes, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, no. I'm joking in all honesty. But I did a disservice watching it on DVD. To be fair, because that hit a lot of the color, richness of the cinematography. Yeah, but, but I think if you're watching it at home, it's still a really powerful film um, and mm, a really absolutely. beautifully crafted and obviously as you mentioned technically brilliant uh, piece of art uh, that I think is well worth anyone watching at least once. Uh, and it's a strong four and a five for me, very much so. And I say a strong four to five because I know I've given Multiverse of Madness a five, and it's not the same as Multiverse of Madness. It's better than <laughs> Multiverse of Madness. Um, but I say that in the sense of like, in this genre, in this sort of particular vibe of film you're looking for. Yeah, that's it, that's it film, isn't it really? This it's, film is a four and a half, easily. Yeah, like I, I'd agree to say it's the same thing. Like, yeah, like we gave that, you know, Multiverse of Madness much higher, but I'd say something like, I can't remember if I gave it higher, but something like Dead Man's Shoes or. Train Spot 2 I would view much higher over you know a certain film that I might give a 5 or like Man of Steel I gave I think I gave a 5 I would say Train Spot and, and Dead Man's Shoes and this film are all, all better films than that but you know it just depends what the film is like what the film's going for how well it I suppose I would say at least personally I think this is probably my favourite sort of war film ever made <laughs> um, I think Saving Private Ryan is a close second um, although I think just the the acting in this film and sort of the like obviously Saving Private Ryan is that very much gruesome uh, opening scene which kind of for the time heightened the reality for a lot of people of what the war was like or at least yeah. it gave them an, an idea because obviously you can't replicate what the actual war was like that's ex- like impossible I would imagine but 
Cristiano um, might find a way. He's faking news. <laughs> but the idea of what I'm thinking here is like, obviously, I, f- I still feel like Private Ryan is very much a cinematic experience as opposed to this sort of grounded story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And 1917 delivers on an aspect of of sort of war history that I feel, regard, despite it being kind of one of the major conflicts of the last 200 years, is still very much underrepresented in media, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, it goes back to my whole thought of like World War Two being the very much easier, more palatable war to cover in sort of uh, artistic media. Um, I think this, like, 1917 did a fantastic job at just reinvigorating sort of the a love for history that I had. And I just really, really appreciate the work it put into both on a, uh, on a sort of cinematic level and on a historical level. Uh, and it made me more interested to learn more about World War One because World War One is almost kind of seen as a prelude towards World War Two. You don't really yeah. think of it as its own thing nowadays. Um. So yeah, no, a four and a half out of five before I start rambling on. Um, but yeah, no, very much a phenomenal film. Uh, I'm glad we covered it. Thank you for letting us cover it, Chris. That's <laughs> fine. Um, yeah, so let's finish up there. Uh, we'll mention what we're doing next week. Uh, we're looking at Spotlight, which is very much uh, oh, working yay. on the theme of <laughs> another, another not good time tales. films. <laughs> <laughs> which is uplifting. unfortunate, but God, also another great film that... that I'm looking forward to taking a look at. Um, be the then after that, we'll be looking at some more of the stuff as well, which we'll reveal to you next week. Of course, you can always uh, find our social links in the description down below if you want to take us, uh, if you want to chat with us over on Twitter or over on the website. Uh, you can also as well submit your films and TV shows that you'd like us to cover on the show down below as well. <laughs> but with that being said, thank you all for listening this week and we'll see you all next time.